Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Last week, I chatted with Kelly Woyan, author of the Food Allergy Baking Book, about how to navigate the holidays with food allergies. If you missed it, definitely go back and listen because she shared a lot of easy tips to keep your kids safe. Also, if you're a new listener, welcome and make sure you head on over to my website, julierevelant.com and sign up for my free five-day challenge to turn your picky eaters into little foodies. All right, so today we're talking about poop problems. I know it's not anyone's favorite topic, but it is something that has probably affected your kids at one point or another. And it's common around the holidays, especially when kids are eating a lot of cookies and sweets. Whether your kid can't go, has problems going, or doesn't go enough, it can be frustrating. And sometimes it's tricky to figure out what's going on. But the good news is that there's a lot of things that you can do to get things going, like taking a look at your kid's diet and trying new foods. I always say, like, go slow in the introduction of it. Your child's constipation didn't start overnight, so we're not going to solve it overnight. That's Jessica O'Connell, a registered dietitian, owner of Jessica O'Connell Nutrition and co-owner of the Constipation Gurus for Kids. Jessica and I talk about the common causes of constipation why conventional ways to treat it may fall short, plus natural remedies, including a ton of foods that can help your kids go. She also talks about pelvic floor therapy, probiotics, and her favorite recipe for poop chocolate. Seriously, you don't want to miss that. There's a ton of information and helpful tips that you can start using today. And I know you're going to love this interview with Jessica O'Connell. Jessica, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me, Julie. Yeah, so let's talk about your story. So I am a registered licensed dietitian. Um, I have been a dietitian for, let's see, over 15 years now. In my career, I've done quite a few different things. Um, but in the last five years or so, I've been in private practice. Um, and now I am working with kids and their families to help them poop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So before we hit record, we were kind of... Uh, you know, chattering about uh, how you could build an entire business around constipation. So how did all of that come to be? Yeah, yeah. So I work in this great um, office space where I share um, office space with a lot of other female-owned businesses. We're um, mental health providers. We have a speech therapist. We have an occupational therapist. And we have a pediatric pelvic floor therapist. And uh, she, I've always had an interest in GI Um, And she started really kind of working with a lot of these kids on their constipation challenges. And she came to me and she was like, there's got to be more to this. There's a nutrition side. And um, the more I did research, I said, you're absolutely right. There is. And so she and I kind of joined forces and um, we have a physical clinic in Epping, New Hampshire, as well as a whole online um, way that we can provide services to folks. really nationwide and even um, worldwide. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds really valuable, especially when you are up against those challenges with your kids, right? You're like Mm -hmm. desperate, right? I need to find a solution right away. Yes, yes. And these parents come to us and 
it's sad what these kids have gone through, what the families have gone through. You know, we get we get a whole range of kiddos in the clinic and on, you know, and virtually um, from kind of your typical constipation with really kind of hard, painful stools that aren't happening happening frequently to um, kids who have had a lot of trauma around going to the bathroom and now are afraid to go. And that comes with a whole slew of other challenges that we work through. Um, but these families' lives really revolve around the bathroom. And I don't know about you, Julie, but I don't want my life to revolve around the bathroom for my kids or for myself, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And so what is the medical definition of constipation? So the medical definition of constipation is rather broad. It's really um, less than three bowel movements per week, hard, dry stool. Um, that's kind of like the 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 base um, definition, but we kind of define it a little bit more than that. Um, you know, really large stools um, is a sign of constipation. Um, having frequent bowel movements throughout the day can be a sign of backup and constipation for some of these kids. Um, the feeling that you have to go and you can't go, um, we see that quite often. Um, and the feeling of not fully being able to empty your bowels is another kind of si- sign of constipation. So if a kid is going, though, several times a day, that could still be constipation. Mm-hmm. Is, is it, though, after a bout of not being able to go? It, de- it depends on the kid. So many of this, so many of these kids, it's so individualized per child and their situation but yeah, if a child is going multiple times throughout the day, usually that's a sign that they're not fully able to empty their their rectum in one or two sits. Um, and so they're essentially um, potentially kind of pinching off the stool, if you will, before they fully um, evacuate all of their stool. Wow. Who knew? I feel like mm-hmm. that's something we've never heard about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so how common is this with kids? So it's estimated that um, about... of all pediatric office visits are due to constipation. So it's a large number of children who are walking around with a lot of stool stuck in their body that needs to come out. And what are the reasons that this can happen? The reasons vary from um, medical conditions. You know, there there are some medical conditions like Hirschsprung's disease or an anatomical, um, you know, malformation of the GI tract. Um, to, you know, celiac disease, uh, challenges with thyroid conditions, diabetes, um, type one diabetes can be a potential cause for constipation in kids. So those are kind of the medical reasons we see. And then of course our diet, um, is a big factor for a lot of these kiddos. Um, you know, not eating enough high fiber foods, not drinking enough water, uh, the kids, you know, the, what I kind of call the typical kids diet is very processed with a lot of cheese and dairy. Um, so that can certainly lead to a lot of constipation, um, lack of exercise. There's so many different reasons we're seeing. Um, and then most of those things, you know, cause hard, painful poop that eventually lead to some kind of withholding, which is kind of like the next level of constipation. And what about medicines and certain supplements that kids might be taking? So medicine-wise, a lot of the ADHD meds can be very constipating. So we obviously, we don't see that in the young, young kids. But, um, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds, I start seeing those kids who are on ADHD meds. And 
they are getting constipated. Um, any medication that might cause um, dehydration. So, you know, I even think of like allergy meds, you know, just for common environmental allergens can, can be dehydrating because they're, um, you know, drying up that mucous membrane. Anything that's drying up parts of our, you know, parts of our uh, body is also drying up the free fluid in our body and leaving less water and fluid for our stool. And if it, there's an intolerance there to a certain food, could that lead to constipation? It potentially could. Um, for some kids, an intolerance might lead to constipation. For others, it might actually uh, lead to diarrhea. So it depends on the on the intolerance and it depends on the child. And for kids who may have celiac, how mm. do you go about getting that diagnosis? Because I know that mm. that just from people who have told me, it's it's sort of a long journey. It can be. I will say um, celiac disease research and testing has come so far. Um, on a personal note, I have celiac disease myself and was diagnosed a million years ago before I became a dietitian. So the testing now, you know, you can start with a simple blood test. And really, if there is any family member, um, first family member of the child who has celiac disease, um, that child should automatically be tested. And like I said, you can start with a blood test. Um, and then, you know, from there, you know, older kids can go undergo an endoscopy, but really the blood test has become, um, has gotten so much better. And, and the research behind the blood test is supportive that for most kids, all we need is the blood test to rule that in or out. Um, so, you know, naturally if there are, if there is belly pain going on, if, um, we're having any growth challenges. Um, if there's any family history of celiac disease or gluten sensitivity, um, those are kind of automatic triggers to be tested. Um, I generally like any child that I work with to just automatically be tested because not that it's an easy way to, to deal with the constipation, but it gives us an immediate answer versus, you know, dealing with some of the other reasons kids might be constipated. Yeah. And especially around the toddler stage where kids are so busy and you're potty training them, you're trying mm -hmm. to potty train them, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they they get consumed with playing and they're mm -hmm. busy and they're on the move and they often don't even sit down to want to eat. But if we don't give them enough time to sit on the toilet, can mm -hmm. they can that lead to constipation too? Absolutely. So we we affectionately call that FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, <laughs> you know, the kids who I've had, you know, kids in my office who say like, I don't want to, I don't want to put the toy down that I'm playing with because someone else is going to take it. So when my body tells me I need to go, I'm not getting up to go. And as that stool sits in the rectum for longer than it needs to, it does become more dried out, right? It, it becomes more dehydrated in the body, um, making it harder to come out, making you know, the stool that comes after it harder to come out. And so before we know it, you know, little Julie, you know, stops putting the toy down when she needs to go. And all of a sudden it's been two days. And now that stool is really hard and painful and, and doesn't come out easily. Yeah. I'm sort of wondering if that's also a problem with older kids who are just mm -hmm. running from activity yeah. to activity and they're up early and they don't have time. Yeah. Or, you know, I even think about the kids that are video gamers, right. you know, you kind of, these kids get lost in their video game and, you know, hours could go by and they're completely shutting down all thoughts of their body signals, whether it's going to the bathroom or thirst or hunger. 
Um, and so, yeah, between the kids that played a lot of video games, but yes, all the kids who were really busy in sports and activities going from one to the next. Um, and then you throw in the, the whole, you know, I don't want to go to the bathroom outside of my own home situation. And yeah, we have a kid that hasn't gone to the bathroom in quite a few days. Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned trauma before. Can mm. you talk about that? Because you often do read about that where kids are scared of using public restrooms and they're scared of the automatic flusher and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we definitely see trauma um, associated with hard, painful poop. For a lot of these kids, it takes one time. And um, we see that a lot in the transition from you know breast milk or formula to solids because the stool gets pretty... Uh, firm at that transition. Um, and in that discomfort or that pain, um, a child automatically is like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. And they, they start withholding. Um, or they, you know, we have some kids with sensory challenges and they don't like the way the toilet seat feels. They don't like the, um, it might be cold in the bathroom or a bathroom might smell, or if they're out in public, right. You know, bathrooms can be dirty. The automatic flush can be really, really loud. Um, so all of these things are really important in uncovering why your child is constipated. Cause you can see there's so many different reasons that could be causing the constipation. So in order to help solve the constipation, we really have to uncover why, you know, where it all started. Yeah. And so how do parents go about trying to figure it out? Mm. So a lot of what we see is, you know, the child, the child has belly pain and they're uncomfortable. They might have a distended belly. You know, their belly is kind of big and bloated. Um, we see a decrease in appetite. Um, and I will like, you know, when kids get into school age, you know, that kindergarten age, parents kind of lose track of if their child is going to the bathroom regularly. And so it's not until we start seeing some of these symptoms or our child starts complaining of belly pain that parents actually are keyed into it. Um, and, you know, most parents take their child to the pediatrician's office and the, the pediatrician um, might just simply do an abdominal, you know, exam with their hands and be able to feel pretty quickly that there's a lot of stool in there. Um, they might send the child for an x-ray to see, um, or they might refer the, the family to a gastroenterologist to, you know, have more testing done to see. But usually it starts with a visit to the pediatrician's office. And so if it's not identified or not being treated, can it lead to other medical problems or even kind of behavioral problems at home? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we love to see kids in the clinic when they're like three, four, five. (laughs) That's like the perfect age to come in because we can help in in a fairly reasonable amount of time. So we just see those kids at that age. but. We get a lot of kids who are much older who've been dealing with this for a long time. And when constipation has been going on for two years, three years, and now we're trying to help, there is a good chance that the rectum has increased in size. And if you think about a rectum as having some elasticity to it, Julie, have you ever pulled out um, like a last year's like bathing suit or an old pair of elastic waist underwear or something. And it kind of, you know, you pull it and it (laughs) falls apart and it kind of crinkles. It doesn't go back to its, its normal size. So over time, as more and more stool is put in that rectum and it's, it sits there, um, 
the rectum eventually kind of stretches out. And even if the child goes to the bathroom, that rectum kind of stays stretched, you know, kind of stretched out and kind of lax. Um, and it doesn't come back down to its normal size. And in that case, that, that is leads to something called encopresis, which is stool leakage, um, because there is so much laxity in the rectum that when the body makes new fresh stool, that, that stool kind of leaks out um, because the body actually can't hold it in anymore. So not to scare anyone listening by any means, but um, dealing with a constipation as soon as possible is always the best thing that you can do. Um, if your child has encopresis, you know, it is, there's lots of work and help that we can give um, for that. And, you know, we have helped so many children with encopresis, um, but definitely dealing with constipation before it gets that far is, is the best thing you can do. And can the same thing happen with urine leakage? Yeah. So because the bladder and the urine are so close together, they kind of sit right next to one another in the body. When that rectum gets really, really full of stool, it actually presses on the bladder and it squishes the bladder. And now the bladder has some, you know, kind of stresses out and freaks out. And now the bladder can leak urine. That's called enuresis. Um, so we see kids who are, you know, either frequently going to the bathroom, their body is sending them a signal and they need to go to the bathroom all the time to urinate, or they're leaking, you know, and we're having wedding accidents frequently throughout the day and night. And so, you know, I, again, I read on these boards all the time, these picky eater boards, and a lot of the parents say that, you know, their, their kids are constipated and they went to the doctor and they prescribed Miralax. And I kind of mm. cringe because mm. I feel like, okay, but maybe we can just intervene on a, on a diet with a diet approach. So what are the typical ways that they are treated if you're going the conventional medical route and, and are they effective and are there drawbacks to it? Sure. So, um, yes, anytime you go to the pediatrician for constipation or to the gastroenterologist for constipation, you're almost guaranteed to be told to take Miralax, which is polyethylene glycol. Um, Miralax is an osmotic laxative. So it works by pulling water into the stool, making it softer and easier to, to, um, leave the body. The challenge with that, what we see often is, um, the family goes to the pediatrician, they're put on Miralax, they're told a cap of Miralax a day. And the follow-up from that is minimal. And this, this is no fault of the pediatrician. Pediatricians are busy, busy physicians. They don't specialize in poop um, and constipation. And so we see kids who are left on Miralax for long periods of time. They're not getting any better because um, there's a behavior component for a lot of these children. So these kids aren't working on the behavior. They're just having really loose stool. Lots of them are having accidents because the stool is too loose. Um, and then there, there, there's a lot of talk around polyethylene glycol and, and longer term effects, um, you know, potential drawbacks for kids um, and, and adults for that matter. Um, so we get a lot of parents who just don't want their children on Miralax anymore. And, you know, as a parent myself, I can totally sympathize with that and empathize. And, you know, I wouldn't want my child on something really long-term either. 
Um, so, you know, again, when I work with these kids in our clinic um, and virtually, I look at their diet and there are definitely foods that we can add in that can help with constipation. So um, another natural osmotic laxative is sorbitol and the pea foods. So things like peaches, prunes, pears, plums, um, all have sorbitol in them. And so sorbitol, like I said, is a natural osmotic laxative. So it's going to do similar in, in pulling water into the stool and softening that stool. So one of the things I always recommend is about four ounces of warm pear juice first thing in the morning to start your child's day. And this can be really, really helpful. The warmth of it kind of calms the GI tract um, and, uh, and allows things to kind of wake up in there um, on an empty stomach so that that's the first thing that's going into the body and can help kind of really pull any, any water into the stool and get that stool nice and soft. Um, so that's kind of one of the first things I always recommend. Um, there's some research around kiwis and dates on a daily basis can, you know, scientifically was shown to improve stool consistency and frequency. Um, so those are some, some things that I always add in. Coconut oil is another um, natural kind of lubricant for the rectum. So Coconut oil in itself doesn't necessarily soften the stool, but it helps provide kind of a slippery surface in the rectum so that the stool easily um, leaves the body. Um, and then focusing on, on fruits and vegetables is, is important, um, which is challenging with a picky eater. Um, but I will say with a, with a caveat on fiber is that if the child is not drinking enough water, Fiber in the body becomes cement. So, you know, I get a lot of kids that come in and they're on fiber supplements or the family has been pushing high fiber foods. And then I find out the child is maybe drinking 15 ounces of water a day. And that's a, that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> um, you know, we have to have enough water in the body to break down that fiber and to use it correctly and if we don't, then the, all that fiber just adds to the problem. And you mentioned coconut oil. How do you mm. serve that to your kids? So there's a few different ways. Um, coconut oil can be used in, in any way that you would use butter. So, you know, I recommend the, the extra virgin um, unrefined coconut oil, you know, the solid uh, white in the jar coconut oil. Um, so you could use that on toast or you could put it on pasta or rice. Um, you could put it into a smoothie, you could bake with it. Um, or one of the best ways, the, the way the kids love the most is making poop chocolates. And <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so poop chocolates or poop candy is simply equal parts, chocolate chips melted with coconut oil. Um, so, you know, if you did like half a cup of chocolate chips, half a cup of coconut oil, toss that in your microwave, get it nice and, um, melted. It's going to be pretty liquidy. You can pour that into candy molds, or you could simply take a baking sheet and um, line it with parchment paper and pour it on the baking sheet. Coconut oil um, helps things kind of stay really solid once it's cold. So you want to take that liquid, um, so, you know, liquid um, um, combination and put that into the freezer and allow it to freeze. And then you can break it into pieces or you just pop it out of your, your candy molds. 
And kids can have one or two of those a day, depending on the size. About a tablespoon a day is generally recommended for coconut oil for constipation. Um, so that that tends to be kids' favorite way to consume coconut oil. I love that. <laughs> well, Jessica, this is amazing. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about natural remedies to help your kids with constipation. Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. I know it's definitely helped my kids. So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy this year and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors during the winter, then the Kids Cook Real Food e-course is for you. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. Delicious. This course is designed for kids of all ages, two to teen, and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable, and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. So Jessica, what are natural remedies that we can use to help our kids? So there's a few different natural remedies, um, you know, outside of dietary changes. Um, magnesium is another um, helpful osmotic laxative. It does the same thing as Marilax. So there's um, a few different magnesium citrate products that I recommend regularly. Uh, magnesium is a mineral naturally found in our food um, and, and kind of does the same thing. Um, increasing water intake for some kids. If, if you can get them drinking a lot more water, that might be the natural remedy that they really need. Um, and then finally, for some kids, um, and most of the kids we see here in the clinic and, and virtually, uh, would really benefit from pelvic floor therapy. Um, and as I mentioned before, this is kind of how I got my start in all of this. Um, a, a woman that I work with in my office, she became a pediatric pelvic floor therapist. And um, the help that she provides with these children is, is huge. So the pelvic floor um, is not just for, you know, moms who have had babies um, and are having issues with, you know, bladder control. It also includes the rectum. Um, and so if the muscles of the rectum and the pelvic floor are, are either, um, 
too tight and they're working too hard or they're not working hard enough, that can cause lots of challenges with going to the bathroom. Um, So my pediatric pelvic floor therapist works a lot on um, positioning on the toilet. Like whoever thought that there was a right and wrong way to poop, (laughs) Um, you know, but there is, there is a right way to sit on the toilet so that your body is positioned correctly to allow stool to come out easier. Um, she uses something called biofeedback, which can test to see, you know, if the muscles are truly able to relax enough to allow stool to pass out of the body easy enough, um, which is kind of really like huge information. Because if we have a child who is eating well, drinking plenty of fluids, maybe they need a little bit of an osmotic laxative and still can't go to the bathroom and and my partner finds that their pelvic floor is not able to relax and she's able to provide exercises and strengthening for the pelvic floor to allow that child to relax when they're sitting on the toilet. Now we have the perfect, you know, the perfect thing for this child to allow the stool to pass easier. Um, and, you know, if, if you can kind of imagine what bathroom time is like for a lot of these families to, to have an answer to why their child is having such a difficult time, um, it's life-changing for these families. Um, so that biofeedback is, is critical in what my pelvic floor therapist does with these kids. And so you mentioned that diet has a lot to do with constipation or could potentially in, in some kids. And so let's take a deep dive into the various foods that can help and why they help. Sure, sure. So um, we're looking at higher fiber foods um, with the caveat that the child is drinking plenty of fluids. Um, If not, you know, it's really important to focus on kind of um, watery fiber foods. So things like melons and berries, you know, those um, cucumbers and zucchini, tomatoes, those things all have high water content, but they are also high in fiber. So those would help no matter what. Um, but some other foods that are really helpful are things like raspberries, apples with the skin. Um, I mentioned kiwis and dates. Um, the pear juice, like I said, is, is hugely helpful first thing in the morning. Um, you know, we want to be somewhat mindful about soluble versus insoluble fibers. Um, so soluble fibers actually, you know, they absorb water. So they can, have the potential to draw water away from the stool. Um, whereas insoluble fibers kind of help bulk the stool and send a stronger signal to the brain that it needs to go to the bathroom. So soluble fibers are really, really helpful for, um, you know, lowering blood sugar. You know, uh, if we're working with a diabetic, we kind of really talk about the benefits of soluble fiber um, versus the insoluble fiber. Um, as I mentioned, it can help bulk the stool a bit so that it sends a stronger signal um, to the brain. Um, an interesting fiber that is both soluble and insoluble is psyllium husk. Um, and psyllium husk is actually kind of a neutralizing fiber. So if someone is having diarrhea, psyllium husk can help uh, firm up that stool. But if someone is constipated, it can actually help soften the stool. Um, and that has to do with where it's fermented in the gut and, and, um, how things survive through digestion. So, um, 
you know, so those are kind of the the things we focus on. Um, but ultimately, again, it goes back to having plenty of water so that the fiber, you know, doesn't get too hard in the system. Yeah. And what about your plant-based foods, like your beans and legumes? So depending on the kid, um, sometimes beans and legumes can cause a lot of gas, um, which can be, you know, cause more discomfort for the child. Um, and then for other kids, they don't have a, an issue with that. And, and then that would be a great, you know, those would be great to incorporate as well. Um, but again, it's kind of dependent on the child and, and their chemistry, their body chemistry. And do you have tips about how to incorporate these foods in the diet so that kids will, especially picky eaters, so that they'll accept them? So anytime um, you're introducing something new to a child, I always, I always say, you know, we want like one small bite of it. Like, let's not overwhelm our child um, with foods that they don't, that they don't know or or don't like. Um, You know, smoothies are a great way to um, help kids eat some new things and get some more um, nutrition into them. Um, You know, allowing them to experiment with the food, however that, that is for the child. So, you know, maybe someone, some, a child needs to squish it and feel it in their hands. Um, and, you know, really kind of have a sensory experience with the, with the food before they're willing to, to try it. Um, but I always say like, go slow in the introduction of it. Um, your child's constipation didn't start overnight, so we're not going to solve it overnight. So go slow with the foods um, and, you know, maybe offering the food in a different way. So, um, you know, if we took broccoli, for instance, you know, maybe we offer it raw one day, maybe we offer it steamed another day, maybe we offer it with cheese on it another time, and maybe we roast it. Um, You know, maybe we make broccoli patties out of it, you know, getting kind of creative about the different ways we can present that one food to our child um, to find acceptance for them. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and we talked about dairy before. Are there other foods that kids who are prone to constipation should avoid? So bananas really get a bad rap. <laughs> um, and it, it's for good reason. So the more um, ripe a banana the less constipating it is, but a green banana or just slightly yellow banana is very, very constipating. It has to do with the resistant starch in the banana. Um, so the more, um, unripe it is, is the more resistant starch it has in it. And that can be very constipating. It, it needs a lot of water to be digested in the system. So, you know, again, less water, um, in the stool because more water is going to break down that resistant starch. And digest that that resistant starch. So um, underripe bananas are kind of a, a big no no. Um, really, you know, it's not necessarily one food that's a no no. It's really um, the child's kind of overall day or week of eating. So a lot of processed foods. You know, um, again, kind of back to that kind of quote unquote kids diet. Um, pizza. Cheez-Its, goldfish, pirate's booty, pretzels. Um, you know, when we look at all of those things, they're very, very high in carbohydrate and, and processed um, white flour, really, with very little fiber. Um, so, you know, when I have a kid that doesn't touch vegetables or very rarely eats vegetables, but has a 
diet primarily of processed foods, we have a lot of challenges with that. Um, you know, also really like a lot of sugar foods can be kind of constipating and um, that can be dehydrating for the body to have a lot of sugar. So drinking a lot of um, juice, eating a lot of, you know, sweet treats. Um, those are things that I look at in a child's diet. And, you know, again, I'm not going to change a child's diet overnight. And I really, really don't like pulling anything out of the diet, but I would rather add some things to the diet if we can. And in terms of probiotics for optimizing mm -hmm. gut health, do you think that kids should take them in general, any kid? And then how do you go about finding the best type of probiotic? Yeah, so probiotics um, have the potential to help gut health. Um, probiotics are very strain specific. So similar to like an antibiotic, if your child had um, an ear infection, for instance, you would get a very specific antibiotic for that versus, you know, what you might get if your child had strep throat. Um, so probiotics are strain specific. And when taken in enough quantity, there is potential that we could um, help the gut with probiotics. Um, there are a couple probiotics that I lean to. Um, I like probiotics that have a mix of lactobacillus and bifidobacterium. Um, but again, it has to be in a, a quantity. So a, a CFU um, amount that's high enough to really provide a benefit. Um, and the research is kind of mixed on probiotics um, in constipation. Um, on the flip side, prebiotics which are food for the probiotics. So probiotics are live organisms in the gut that um, can potentially provide um, some kind of health benefit. Prebiotics are food for those live organisms. Um, and, you know, I've been using prebiotics pretty frequently with a lot of these kids because prebiotics have a, have a potential to really help soften the stool um, by providing food for that good bacteria in the gut. Um, so, you know, it's, again, it's kind of looking at the child and their specific needs as to which one I recommend, or if I do both. Um, but prebiotics seem to be what's helping more, um, than probiotics for a lot of these kids. Great. Well, Jessica, this has been so informative and helpful. Mm. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Absolutely. So, um, you can visit us at www.constipationgurus.com. Uh, we have our poop boot camp, which is open enrollment all the time. Um, that comes with our private Facebook group. Um, we do live Q and A's. So it's, it's a great course for parents um, and caregivers. And we also offer um, what we call our constipation solutions package, which includes virtual consults with us. Um, so you can find us on our website or on social media, Constipation Gurus Kids on both um, Instagram and Facebook. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Jessica had so much information and helpful advice to share. And those poop chocolates, I'm definitely going to make those for my kids. Be sure to head on over to her website, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.